we're, we're already started. We're ready. Okay. Oh, wait. Okay. So right. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick us off. Do it. Um, welcome. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. Welcome. Whenever you're listening, uh, welcome to the Afterword, uh, the Afterword podcast of the Town Church that we do on a Monday morning. I'm here with Eric Reeves. Hello. And Sir Richard Nelson. Hi there. And I'm Josh McGeehan. Uh, so we are glad you are with us. As uh, an aside, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Vince isn't here today. Um, and we don't know exactly when he will be back with us. Um, if you haven't heard or you're not a part of the town church, uh, the disheartening news that Ezra Black did pass um, that on, I guess, a couple Thursdays ago. So uh, Vince is obviously uh, taking some time uh, away. Uh, this is, I mean, this is something that's affected our whole church. It's affecting us uh, much more than corporately in that Vince isn't here uh, to be doing work uh, in his normal position of of teacher and vision uh, pastor, but it's really affecting us uh, emotionally and personally in a lot of different ways as a church. So um, it was important that we mentioned that uh, Ezra will be dearly, dearly missed um, as a friend, uh, as a server in our church, and yeah, and we are thankful uh, for his life and uh, that he is now with God. So I don't know how better to talk about that here, but that is why Vince is not here. Uh, but uh, we, do, we do want to glorify God. We want to talk about the gospel, uh, which is the one or the true gospel that we see in Galatians. But before we do that, uh, I thought, especially in this really heavy time for our church, a fun question to start us off would be to ask Eric and Richard and I can chime in on this. What is the greatest joy you have in being an elder at the town church? Well, um, I'll start. And I would say uh, it's, the, it's the joy and the privilege of working in a small team. It's a ministry team uh, that wants to take this church and grow this church into the future and use it to God's glory to see lives changed, including our own lives. And uh, I count it a real privilege to be with this group of elders and their friends. And we have fun sometimes, and we have some hard times sometimes. So uh, it's, a, it's a band of brothers, as I would label it. What about you, Josh? Yeah, I think... Uh... I think there's sometimes some misunderstanding about what an elder does. Mm. And I know we mention this sometimes in a class for new people or in a foundations class, maybe a dessert when we're meeting new people. But I think the greatest joy is being able to pray for our people. Uh, I think prayer can actually foster or create more intimate relationships, deeper care for one another. So I think when I first became an elder, 
I thought we'd be making a bunch of decisions that I really didn't want to make, <laughs> whether it's about what kind of soundboard to buy for the sanctuary or what kind of lighting we should use or, yeah, bigger decisions. And we do make some of those decisions, but the primary role of an elder that I've found, uh, well, one of our primary roles and probably most enjoyable role is just being able to pray for our people. And I think it's grown my affection, my my love for our body. Hmm. So the people we pray for, I actually have a vested interest, a, a real care for them. So I'd say my greatest joy of being an elder is just being able to to approach God for, for those in our body and ask God to to bring healing or bring bring jobs or or bring marital uh, harmony or praying for people's kids. That stuff is brings me a lot of joy. Yeah, it's interesting because I know both of you have mentioned the love for our people, in particular the the love of the people for the town church, where it's less of a duty or less of a difficulty to serve and be a part of this body because we genuinely love the people who come here. There is certainly a sweetness there. Um, and for, for me, it's probably wraps into the biggest joy of being an elder at the town church is we get to um, sometimes walk through some really hard things with people, um, but loving the people we walk through it with and knowing that um, it's really important and what God is doing in that person's life and the life of our town of, of the town church is hard at times, but a, a, a privilege and a joy at the same time. So I think it can be hard and joy and joyous at the same time. Um, there's nothing I'd actually rather be giving my life to right now. So with the time, the energy the creativity. We try, I try to be creative, not always am creative, but we have you, Josh, to help us be creative a little bit um, to be able to give those things. Yes, Josh? Yes, a look on your face? <laughs> no, I, it's, it's more of a, uh, yeah, confusion. No, that was good, but not confused. Okay. Let's, hey, one, can I yeah, add one other yeah, thing? Yeah, please, Richard. Uh, on this morning, I was talking with one of our global workers over in uh, southeastern Asia, and just talking to him and seeing him, and just uh, he's a guy that he and his family were part of this fellowship for a number of years, and just uh, being with him, like it's the privilege of just talking to him. He's an extension of what we're doing here, and I was able to just talk to him and shepherd him and love him, and we'll be praying for him. And so that was just it was just kind of an I don't do that every day, but today was that way. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for doing that, Richard. You really care about reaching the world, as you would say. Um, Man, that just lights his fire, doesn't it? Oh, his fire. His eyes sparkle. Yeah, it it really gets you going, gets you up in the morning, as you'd say. Indeed it does. I love it, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, Well, I want to transition to asking Eric some questions. He was our primary, or he was the teacher on Sunday, and... Uh, you had a lengthy text, mm. uh, so uh, you handled it well, though. I thought you did really well. Oh, well thanks, thanks, Richard. That's a, you're my favorite elder, Richard. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. <laughs> you're everyone's favorite. That's no, true. I'm, <laughs> I'm not. No. But seriously, I mean, this the this is rooted in historical fact. Mm-hmm. The gospel is historically rooted, and we were reading through this, and it's just jaw-dropping to see what happened and how Paul came to faith. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, he did it well. Oh, thanks. 
Richard's chomping at the bit to get in, so I'm just going to give a little bit of a preface for what we're talking about. Nope, no, no zip in your mouth, Richard. You're fine to keep talking. Uh, but uh, the text was Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 11 through 2, 14. It's an autobiographical text of really Paul's uh, not only conversion, but understanding of the gospel. So... Um, we'd love to to just talk a little bit about this. Uh, you you had four points, Eric, and then I'm I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, your points were the gospel of grace is of divine origin, so it comes from God. Uh, the gospel of grace transformed Paul, so his personal conversion. The gospel of grace is the same gospel preached by the apostles, so not a different gospel than was previously preached but the same. And then finally, the gospel of grace holds authority over the apostles themselves. So I'm curious, in your study, what what was, if you were to take one primary thing away, what would that be? And maybe what are some things that you weren't able to share that you just found interesting concerning Paul and his understanding of the gospel? Hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a big chunk. Um, there's a lot that's in the background that uh, informs how we read it, but not necessarily helpful in a sermon. I mean, there's, what, three major events here in Paul's life over the course of 14-ish, maybe a few more years um, in different cities and, and all of that. There's, there was a lot of writing about what's the timeline? Like how, how do these things fit in together with the events of Acts? Um, was this a different Jerusalem council? So there's two Jerusalem councils and the ones at Acts 15. Um, some talk about those sorts of details, exactly who were these Judaizers? Were they, in fact, Judaizers? Um, what were the pressures on Peter? Um, those, those sorts of things. So a lot of discussion around those sorts of things, which are important to a point. Um, but there's a lot of agreement, too, on the main, main point of the text, which is really helpful <laughs> as a reader. Um, that there is a lot of agreement on it. Uh, I, th- I think one of the things that probably imp- uh, was a big takeaway for me in reading through this is not only how passionate Paul is, but he's passionate about something that is of great, great news to us. You know, he's not passionate in this text about things we have to do or how we need to work harder or uh, a theological piece we need to study more, but rather he's passionate about the grace that God has given to his people for salvation. He's willing to go to Matt for it. Um, that that that's really impresses upon me. God, I don't think this stuff is easy to understand, the gospel. I don't think grace is easy to understand. Um, but Paul is <laughs> obviously really, really passionate. Well, we're going to see that through, through us this book, but really passionate about it. Even in even among relationships that are important to him and the early church, so he didn't soft pedal just to try to keep good relations with Peter or the other apostles. Like he's he's willing to get after it, which I'm thankful for. Hey, what? How big a barrier was it to go into the Gentile world in this time for Paul, or just for Jewish but Christians in he general? And the and the church. Yeah, I think for Paul, it's different potentially than for just the everyday Jewish Christian. Uh, I think it also depends on where you were. So in Antioch, the Jewish Christians and Gentiles were together like like they're just Christians together, not Jewish and Gentile Christians. And so something different was happening there than was happening in Jerusalem. Um, and with Paul being commissioned to the Gentiles, 
um, I think at his conversion and shortly after, God did a pretty radical work in his heart from being such a strict Jew growing up to now going to the Gentiles and arguing back to the Jews back in Jerusalem that no Gentiles don't have to observe the Jewish law. And so for him, I think it's probably a different story too than the every average Jewish Christian. What would you say, Eric, thinking about your four points? Um, you, you started out by saying, how can we be confident the gospel of grace is the true gospel? Yeah. So we know that true gospel is from God. We know that it transformed Paul's life. It was affirmed by the other apostles and that it has authority over both Paul mm. and the apostles. What would you say to someone, a skeptic, that may say, well, that's just a circular argument. Mm. But how do we... This may be a silly question, but I think a question that some people would have is, how do we really know? Is a changed life by not just Paul and the apostles enough proof that this gospel of grace is true? Or is there any other insight that you would have into that initial comment of how can we be confident? Today, as, as believers today. Yeah, that's, yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think there's a couple of different ways. That's a really good question. I think one way is a fundamental question is how, re- how reliable is today's Bible? And that's a whole different conversation. It would be a good conversation to have. Um, assuming that the Bible is reliable, and I, I think it absolutely is, in the state that we have it today, this is actually what Paul wrote. This is actually what he meant. Um, I think another piece is the transformation that we see in people's lives today, our own personal lives, um, the work that God does through the gospel of grace. So that wasn't something that was just limited to Paul's day or Jesus's day, but we see that happening today as well. Um, so if the Bible is reliable, we can trust that the apostles were who they were. Paul is what he was. They preach the same thing that built some confidence today, um, as well as seeing the effects of the gospel. Yeah, and I think... That's interesting. I'd love, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Richard, anything you would add to that? Um, I think the, the remarkable thing, it's a, uh, we've talked about uh, he, the gospel changes us from the inside out, and Judaism, as is on all religion, and Eric, and you mentioned this in the sermon, all the major religions of, of the world, you have to earn it. You're in a squirrel cage, mm, yeah. and you've got to attend, you've got to give, you've got to you gotta, you gotta, you gotta fill in the blank there. But uh, in this uh, message, it's so amazing that you cannot earn it. You can't do enough, mm-hmm. and it's all a free gift. And you, it's unconditional. And His love is unconditional. Grace is uh, truly amazing, as the hymn says. And so it was so revolutionary. We trip over it mm-hmm. because, and Eric, I think you alluded to this, but in our culture, I mean, you. You earn your way. When you work hard at UPS or something like that, uh, you climb the ladder because you earned it. But in this, uh, it's all a gift. And it's so transformational. Uh, you don't want to go back when mm-hmm. it starts to change you from the inside out. It is sweet. That's good. Are you ever tempted to go back, Richard? I know you've got a lot more years on Josh and I. You've known Jesus longer. Are you tempted to go back in a sense, like to still try to earn it or work or, or yeah. something along those lines? You know, I don't feel like it's a temptation as much as a subtle shift in my mentality. Uh, I don't, and all of a sudden, I, I, in the back of me, I want to do more. And sometimes I want to do more turns into uh, I want to do more because I want to be rewarded more maybe. 
by God or by other people or both? Uh, well, people. I want to look good in the eyes yeah, of people. Yeah. Uh, that is a sin I am still confessing regularly. And, uh, and it's so amazing that just to think I don't have to impress people. Hmm. I don't have to impress anybody. Just It's me just loving God and soaking up his truths coming into my life on a day-to-day basis is... And when I'm in that zone, if they call it like that, or as uh, Paul Tripp says, you're in a vertical worship time, it's just heavenly. Unfortunately, that it kind of goes horizontal, and we start, and it's subtle for me, I think. And it's, I think it's a, a point where Satan can get in there because of Satan loves to jimmy up the whole mess with confusion and self-centeredness. I do not like when Satan jimmies it up like that. I have not said jimmied up in maybe forever. It's been a really long time. But Richard's older than us, so That's he's right. just brought it right back from the, back from the future. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Uh, I don't know what that means, really. <laughs> we'll, laugh, talk, we'll talk laugh, later. Laughing is one of my favorites. Uh, you like to laugh. You like yes. to smile, too. Uh, I do like smiling. I think one thing uh, that you mentioned, Eric, is when, and you you talked with this just briefly with Richard, is how we add to the gospel. And I think sometimes we do this even as mature believers. Yeah. Man, I think about the hour I first believed. You are you just mentioned Amazing Grace. I think it was so revolutionary because it was free and it was a gift from God, and Christ came into my life, and the Holy Spirit was given, and then. All of a sudden, like I was experiencing the gifts of the Spirit, which we'll talk about later in Galatians, and you see the Holy Spirit working in Paul, you see the Holy Spirit working in Peter's life as you look at the Scriptures, but it's interesting, the longer we believe, sometimes I think we make the work of the Spirit in our lives, we connect it with our salvation instead of an act of worship of God. So Oh, so you, you'd mentioned, uh, I think you'd mentioned your Superman complex. Yeah, thanks for bringing that back up. By the way, people are actually mentioning that to me. I think they mainly see it in your physique is and not as much in what you're able to accomplish throughout your day. We're that feels better. Getting- that feels a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> but as you mentioned that, though, like I think for me, it was good that you'd mentioned that just because sometimes I think... I forget the sweetness and the purity of the gospel of grace and the works that God is doing in me. I think that is part of earning my salvation uh, subconsciously. So, oh, my performance also is helpful in making me the believer I am instead of, no, God has done all the work and there is some acts that he works in me, maybe it's acts of worship or obedience, but it has nothing to do with my qualifications as a Christian. Hmm. So I'd, I'd love to hear more from both of you guys about that. Like where, where does your performance or your obedience as a believer come in and how does that affect your true understanding of a gospel of grace? Well, to maybe even throw more in that. I mean, we are to do good works. I mean, Titus, uh, the test case, I mean, uh, Paul wrote a, 
a letter to him, and he emphasized doing good works because that should it should result as a, a, a overflow of what God is doing inside of our life. And so, but where do good works, doing them correctly and doing good works incorrectly, I think it's a matter of motives. And I always think, why am I doing what I'm doing? And so if I hear myself trying to look good in the eyes of people, which I hear an awful lot, that's just, that is so painful. And I could, I confess it a lot of times. I ask, and you know, and I want it crucified and, and, and the influence removed from my life. It hasn't happened at this point, but I think it's motives. Why we do what we do. That's and they're probably mixed most of the time. Like even doing this really? podcast, I need mixed motives. I want people to think well of me, what I say on this thing, because then it gets recorded and it gets sent out to people, and I'll see them the next day, and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to trust your motives sometimes, you know? Yeah. And they are mixed. Yeah. That's why we need community to help us sort, sort these things out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like Josh is really good at pointing out my weaknesses and <laughs> trying to get me on the straight and level road. I, somebody needs to, man. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And there, there's sometimes a lot. Sometimes there's <laughs> quite a grocery list, isn't there, that. Josh? <laughs> Sorry, I'm struggling to know what to even say to that. Um, <laughs> yes, we do need one another. That's, that's a great point. I'm going to ask another question. Uh, I'm curious. As we read about Paul's testimony, about how he met Jesus, and as we look at Acts chapter 8, or Acts 9? Acts 9. Um, As we, there's so much that maybe we can't relate to in this. His his testimony is really supernatural. Mm -hmm. And even his, his progression and growth is is different in that how we may grow as a young Christian into a mature Christian. I'm curious, as you two read this text, what can we take away or learn from the spe- specific te- uh, specific text in regards to Paul's transformation and conversion? And how can we apply that to our own coming to know Jesus? I think... If I'm understanding you correctly, every conversion is supernatural. It is a divine work of God. He chose us before the foundation of the world. I mean, I can't even wrap my head around that. So he grabs us. Uh, but with Paul, there was on that road to Damascus conversion, there was so much dramatic. Even the guys he was walking with hit the ground terrified, which I, I understand. Uh, and maybe that's what he needed. He was so entrenched and angered at the new movement of Christ out of Jerusalem. He needed something unique for him, maybe. I don't know, Eric. Hmm. I think the angle that strikes me the most is that Paul was hyper-religious. He was in good good conscience. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was honoring God. He was chasing after what he knew to be right as hard as he could chase after it. Um, I think often we use those sorts of arguments with religions around the world and say, well, if they're, if they're really sincere, if they really are trying their best, doing the best that they know how to do, then, then maybe it's okay, right? Maybe it's okay. Maybe there's some salvation that, in that faith. Um, but here in the, in the story of Paul, we see that was not okay. Jesus um, 
in a very supernatural like a, a different sort of, sort of supernatural way than what often happens to us actually appears to him and changes him in a moment um, and didn't just let him continue down the road that he was going and taking it just simply as a worship of himself, which I think is really instructive. Um, we meet people of different faiths who are really, really sincere. And I think there can be a temptation to think, oh, you know, they're, they're really sincere. They're, you know, they're, they're a really good Muslim or Mormon or, or whatever. And so maybe, maybe we don't really need to, to evangelize them as much as maybe an atheist or something. But I think, I think in the story of Paul, we see that's, that's just not the case. Yeah, it's interesting, I think, is so we can see that this gospel that was preserved for Paul or for the apostles, it was preserved for us too. Yeah. So I think you're right, Richard, in that it is by God's grace, a gospel of grace, that we've come to know him. Uh, that yeah. we that we become his children, but it, it's interesting to me. Paul is interesting because it is it's on the road to Damascus. It's it's a, it's miraculous. I was thinking about the other apostles, and it was a progression of coming to know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Walking three years with Jesus in his presence, and they're still doubting. And they still don't understand, and <laughs> their coming to understanding is really interesting and really different. So it's interesting to me, as, as you were preaching on Sunday, Eric, to think, wow, how Paul's conversion was so different than the apostles who walked with Jesus, mm, yeah. but it, it's the same gospel. So different than how Josh McGeehan oh, yeah. became a Christian, That's good. but it's the same gospel. And it just made me think, how creative, how unique is our God and how personal and precious he is that he would work in each of our lives. Eric Reeves, Richard Nelson, Josh McGinn, members of the town church, regular attenders of the town church, family and friends who know Christ. He he doesn't have a formula. Mm. And so, hmm. yes, a yeah. very unique example with, with Paul. But how amazing it, how our coming to know God is is so different and so unique, but so personal for each of us. Hmm. Yeah, it's the whole put God in a box sort of thing, right? We get reminded. That's a great reminder, Josh. We get reminded again and again of how he's bigger <laughs> than whatever box we think we might put him in. That's good. It's amazing, too, how God in his providence uses all the, the things in our life and in the case of Paul, he had all this knowledge. He was trained in all the right places. And he happened to see Stephen get stoned and how he died with amazing glory and power. And right at that time, I think he brought Paul into the kingdom for such a time as this to bring leadership into the Gentile group, but not just into the Gentiles, but to unite the both groups into one, which is super cool glad it's cool and it, he's glad yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well well done richard <laughs> thank you um i guess uh yeah i think it feels fitting uh that that we are going through this book and understanding the gospel of grace in a time whenever we need grace as a church i feel like yeah, there's heaviness at the town church right now. And uh, yeah, I think reminding ourselves of this gospel and how this gospel 
works in our lives, how it worked in Ezra's life, how it works in the blacks' lives, like watching their family cling to the gospel. It's real. Hmm. Like this, this gospel is real. And it's not just theoretical. Yeah. And that, I mean, that was your point, uh, in, in a true gospel, a God, a, a confidence that we can take in a gospel of grace. And we need that confidence, especially in times that can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's what we cling to. It's what we must hold on to. So I guess I'd love to just hear from you guys if there are final thoughts or other striking things in the text uh, that, that stood out. And yeah, just final thoughts. Well, uh, you thank you, Josh. That's that was uh, very fitting. We the church is we are one with one another. We are, are we are spiritually united with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You brought out, I think it was three eight, where we're we're all one. There's no male, female, that kind of thing. And also, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And so when Ezra, who lived his life well, you know, I think he really, he died well. He died, uh, he left an impression on me, and, and it varies with each person in the body, as, but we just saw him, and uh, we were reminded just how important he was to this family, his family, this family called the church. He was on the worship team, and so... Uh, and even the gospel has taken him into a, a place where he's never doesn't suffer anymore, and it's our hope of all of us. You know, we we don't belong here. This is not our world. This is not our body, and we're on our way to to heaven via the church, and we're seeing it in microcosm. Maybe here in the church, we see heaven displayed, hopefully in our congregation, and we will realize it in the future. Yeah, I'm I'm curious as the last question, what in this text do you see of God that raises your affections for him? What is it that your heart responds with a growing love for our good God in this text? Well, it's the one he Paul said, who called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me. Uh it's it's going back to grace, you know. It's unmerited favor. Um Grace upon grace, he talks about in the Gospel of John. And man, if we ever depart from grace, you know, it becomes works really quick. I think a lot of my prayers are praying for more grace. Is there anything in here that struck you, Josh, about who God is that raises your affections for him? Yeah, I think uh, chapter, sorry, chapter 2, verse 5, I think, the idea that uh, this gospel might be preserved f- for me. Mm, yeah. Uh, I think oftentimes we can see the heroes of the faith, like Paul and Peter, and even going throughout church history and thinking, oh, yeah, the gospel was preserved for them, but it was, it was preserved for me. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I think... Um, We've kind of hit on this. I mean, we, we've spent a large amount of time on this, but just seeing how the gospel works in the life of an individual. Um, and 
I think it's just, it is profound. And this book is just going to continue to, it's going to get better and better and (laughs) better. And the Holy Spirit will be given. And not only is the gospel or salvation secured, but also God coming and dwelling within me. And God coming and dwelling within Paul and in Peter. And we can see Peter didn't do it perfectly. I mean, yeah. He caused a dispute. Yeah. Josh McGeehan isn't going to do it perfectly, and he'll need he'll need correction. But that spirit still lives in me. So I just think as we look at this book as, as a whole, like we're just touching the iceberg for salvation, but this gospel is for today and how I interact with my wife tonight or in how I conduct myself this weekend, or it's 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 a it's a gospel we can be confident in. It's a gospel of grace, and it's a gospel for the moment. Hmm. Like I need that gospel now, and I'm going to need it an hour from now. So I I think that yeah, it's I think it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's really profound, isn't it? Uh, for me, it's the same. It's God's grace. That's what's all over this text. Uh, really profound, hard to understand, and yet that is um, what God chose to use him mean, because it flows from his character. So it isn't like he, I guess it's not like he chose it among various different options that he was going to choose not to be gracious with us, but it flows out of his character that that was his plan of how he's going to save people was because he was going to save people and it wasn't he's going to allow people to save themselves. So the profundity of the gospel and how it runs counter to my own heart and how it often live, um, uh, I think highlights, it highlights to me how far from God's perfection I am, and yet at the same time he chose to save me based on his grace, and how, so how much I need it, I suppose, is a better way to put it. Uh, my affection is raised for God because of his grace, because I need it. And that's good news. That is good news. Yeah, that is really good news. It's the best news. It is the best. <laughs> Josh, you want to wrap us up? Richard, do you want to wrap us up? Yeah, why don't you wrap up the afterward? I'm not sure what this is. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, everybody, thank, thanks for listening. We made it through three episodes now. We're officially three episodes in. We hope this is helpful for you. Um, if, if on a Sunday you hear... Uh, a sermon, read through the text, and you have questions you'd like us to wrestle with a little bit the next morning, could you send, email those to us by Monday morning at info at the townchurch.org? We'd be happy to look at them and maybe we can we can talk about them a little bit. We, we want to hear from you. Any feedback about this podcast? If you know us, it's helpful too. Be kind, be gentle, um, but that's helpful too. We want this to be helpful Gracious. for you. I know it's helpful for me personally. So I thank Richard. Thank you, Josh. And we'll talk to you next time. Pleasure's mine. Okay, bye. See you later.